0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Today's reading is from Romans chapter 14. Uh, Romans chapter 14 starting at verse 1. Except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man, whose faith is weak, only eats vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, does, for God accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. No one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord for both the dead and the living. You, then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we, st- for we all will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As short as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us gives an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your own mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in your brother's way. As one who, can, who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting of love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter for eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the works of God for the sake of food, All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat, or drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not of faith, but from everything that does not come from faith is sin. Hear the word of the Lord. Good
1: G'day everybody. Hey, at the time of recording, uh, it is blowing an absolute gale outside. So uh, if you do hear a bit of wind on the recording, uh, that's because it's it's a, there's a storm going on. Well, When I was in my mid-20s, I was part of a soccer team, and at the end of training one day, I headed out into the car park. I was one of the last people to leave, and I came across two senior members of the club having a disagreement. Now, it wasn't about anything particularly important, but I witnessed this disagreement start as something small and escalate into something big. It turned into a a blazing row, an angry argument, as these two moved towards each other. Uh, They looked like they were gonna punch on. Uh, They they actually didn't. No one actually ended up throwing a punch, but they got close to each other physically and, and came as close to throwing punches at each other as you could without actually it turning into a physical fight. It was a pretty difficult situation for me to find myself in as someone who's a lot younger than them And wondering, should I intervene? And if I did intervene, what would I do? Like, how could I actually try and bring this uh, very unpleasant situation into a much more positive situation? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. uh, Disagreements. And in particular, how to disagree well and avoid a massive blow-up in the car park. As I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of positive examples on how people have disagreed well that you might know. You know, famous ones. Pe- the ones that we'd all know, that everyone watching would know. And you know what? I couldn't think of any. Like, I couldn't think of one. Like, I can think of people who I know who disagree well, who are great examples, but there's no guarantee that you'd know them. And there's certainly no guarantee that everyone watching would know them. And so I started to go, oh, I think we're in a bit of a bad spot as a society. I don't think we disagree very well at all. Now, maybe this has just been a human problem. You know, we've always been bad at it. But research would suggest that since we've started getting online more and since we've been disagreeing online a lot, things have gotten worse. Now, of course, this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, as we Get online, we lose a lot of the things that help us to work things out well. Uh, We lose that ability to see the other person's body language, to hear the tone in their voice. We lose that relational aspect of the conversation because we're often, you know, just uh, commenting and then going away and then coming back and all this sort of thing. Uh, And so, A lot of disagreements that happen online just lack that depth and that relationality that we get if we're in person or even if we're on the phone. And then what we're seeing is that because we disagree worse online, the habits that we pick up online are starting to spill into real-life conversations. So bad habits are infecting our real-life interactions or in-person interactions. And it's alarming how things can escalate quickly online. And I'm just shocked at the way things often finish, disagreements finish online. You know, I've seen people say things like, well, you're just a a waste of space. You know, oxygen's just wasted on you. And even people just finishing an argument by saying, you might as well go and kill yourself. This is something I've seen happen many, many times. It's not just a young person issue. Uh, Older generations do this as well. So we can't really look online to find good examples of people disagreeing with each other. So then you go, well, where do we look? Do we go to our public leaders, our politicians, and our media representatives to give us the positive example on how to disagree with each other? (laughs) No, we can't do that. They're terrible examples, generally speaking. Uh, So we can't go to them. So This is what we're talking about today. Uh, how do we disagree well, and what is the way of Jesus when it comes to disagreeing with each other? Our series is God in the everyday. Inevitably, we're going to find ourselves in situations where we disagree with someone on a big issue or a small issue or anywhere in between. How do we do this in the way of Jesus? This is a topical sermon, so that means that uh, we're not going. We're going to look at this topic a bit more broadly than and not specifically get into the details of the passage today, our Bible reading from Romans chapter 14, but we are going to start there. So let's have a look at it. Uh, This passage comes in a whole section towards the end of the book of Romans, which starts in Romans chapter 12. And here our author, whose name is Paul, he's writing to a Christian community, and he's really encouraging them to live sacrificially, to consider others, In the way that we go about our lives, and it's perhaps very well, uh, you know, uh, summarised in verse twelve, chapter twelve, verse ten, where he says, "Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves." This sort of philosophy is right at the heart of what it means to live as a Christian. It's not that we completely disregard our own well-being, but that we absolutely consider the well-being of others as really important in the way that we live. So he sets up this whole expectation in chapter 12. He talks about what it means when it comes to the way we respect authority in our society in chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, uh, we get this Idea of not dividing the Christian community over what Paul calls disputable matters. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, there's indisputable matters and there's disputable matters. And it might be helpful to think about this with this illustration. An indisputable matter, when it comes to following Jesus, is something that we have to hold on to really tight. As in, If we're gonna be Christians, if we're gonna be faithful to God and who he's called us to be, we can't be flexible on some issues. Uh, We've got to hold tight to them uh, and we can't have a take it or leave it attitude to certain things. And so this is represented by a closed fist. And so uh, uh, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, a Christian minister, had a member of their church come to them and say, you know what, I don't think Jesus is important to the spirituality of our church. And my friend was pretty shocked by this. It's like, uh, no, that's that's not okay. Jesus is, is not uh, a take it or leave it issue when it comes to being a Christian. Jesus is central. This is a closed fist issue. You can't just say, oh, Jesus, take it or leave it. Jesus, you yeah, know, whatever. We could replace Jesus with something or someone else. No, We need to hold tight to the centrality of Jesus in our faith. Christianity uh, is built on the foundation that Jesus is really, really important to what we believe. So that's an example of an uh, an indisputable issue. But what Paul says in Romans chapter 14 is there are a bunch of issues, a bunch of disputable matters when it comes to being a Christian. These might be represented by an open fist or an open hand. And in these issues, and he uses the example of uh, two examples. One is the uh, keeping of the Jewish food laws, as outlined in the Old Testament. He says some people do this when they're Christians and some people don't. And making uh, so keeping certain days as holy. And he says these are disputable matters and that it's okay if some people passionately follow them and that some people don't. Now, you might go, ah, okay, so it's these sort of less important issues, these sort of minor issues, uh, and, you know, that everyone can just sort of find their own way on those, and that's what he's talking about. They're the open-handed issues. But let's hold on a sec. Put yourself in the position of a Jewish person, when Paul's writing this 2,000 years ago, who started following Jesus. Now, they're going, well, hang on. We've been following these food laws for over a thousand years. They are an integral part of our identity as God's people. These are not, this is not a minor issue. This is fundamental to who we are. This is really important. We're very passionate about this. So this is not just a minor issue. This is something that people can consider very, very important to be very passionate about. And yet, Paul is still saying, Hey, this is a disputable matter and what he says is let's emphasize unity in our following of Jesus over arguing about who's right and who's wrong. He says to each group, follow your conscience and practice your convictions. Follow your conscience and practice your convictions. Unity is important on these disputable matters. Now we should acknowledge here that throughout history, (laughs) and since Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, Christians have argued about some issues as to whether they are indisputable or disputable matters whether they're closed fist or open fist and uh, or open hand issues and uh, that continues to be the case on certain issues today uh, you know maybe we could do a teaching series on that one day I'm not going to get into all you know which issues are you know disputable throughout history um, but we want to acknowledge that sometimes there are disagreements about what's indisputable and what's disputable So hopefully what I can do though with the rest of the talk is to give us a really good foundation on how to have healthy disagreements about really important issues and about issues that we might consider to be indisputable. So let's let's do that, let's get into it. Uh, Let's have a look at uh, verse three of chapter 14. Paul says this, "'The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So this goes both ways. Both groups don't judge each other, don't look down at each other, uh, don't start fights with each other. And then he gives the reason. For God has accepted them. This is the basis for this. God has accepted them. God loves both groups. And he's already established earlier in the book of Romans that God loves people because he loves them. Because his love is so big, uh, he, God is gracious, he forgives us when we sin, uh, he uh, is merciful, and his love is big enough to cover up all our weaknesses and all our failures. And he loves both these groups You know, if they argue about the food, he he loves the people who want to continue the food laws. He loves the people who have more freedom in in this issue. And so he's saying, so God accepts both these groups. Do you have higher standards than God? He accepts both of them. Are you going to add a new rule in that says, no, no, he can't. He has to exclude one of them. This is not something we recommend. So this is God's grace at work. He's showing us that God... Uh, loves us even when we don't do things to deserve his love, we don't do things to earn his love. So we're not to create division where God sees no division. But it's more than that. It's more than just avoiding argument. He goes on to really encourage us to look out for each other. Now back in year nine, my class had a rather juvenile habit of intentionally trying to trip up anyone who walked down the aisle in the classroom something you really had to watch out for. If you were going down the aisle, inevitably someone's going to try and stick a foot out and try and trip you up. I'm not defending this behavior. I'm not saying it was a good thing. I do admit to participating in it at times, but this is just what we did for a period of time in year nine. But uh, here we have in verse 13, Paul writing this, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So in year nine, our class was trying to put a stumbling block in people's way. We were trying to trip each other up. Paul's saying, let's do our very best not to do that. Let's look out for each other and try and clear the way for each other, make as smooth, you know, smooth relationships as possible. A number of years ago, uh, I used to run a yearly young adults conference and the campsite that we regularly used had a bar that they'd open at night. They'd sell drinks and snacks and some of the drinks were alcoholic. Now, one particular year, there were some people coming on the camp who uh, we knew had some alcohol abuse issues in their life And there was a particular group of people joining us who were from a cultural background where alcohol was problematic for that particular group. And so we decided that we were gonna ask the campsite to not open the bar that year. And most people were very accepting of that, uh, although some people did have a whinge. You see, looking out for each other, it requires a level of humility in our attitudes. Humility is not thinking of yourself less, but, uh, not, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So it's not about going, oh, you know, I'm no good, I'm a bad person, I'm hopeless. That's false humility. Humility is just about not putting yourself at the center of the universe. Not just constantly thinking about yourself all the time, but actually thinking about others sometimes, considering others' well-being. And when we practice humility, and when we apply humility to our relationships, we're actually just following the example of Jesus. We're being like Jesus. When Paul goes into chapter 15 and starts to summarise and wrap up this whole section on living together... He writes this, For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, The insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. In this verse, he's really pointing us to what Jesus achieved on the cross and in his resurrection. You know, Jesus' sacrifice is like an ultimate act of humility. He didn't do this to please himself. He didn't go to the cross because it was fun. He did it so that we could receive the blessings of God. His sacrifice on the cross means that we can be forgiven. So that means that we can, when we put our trust in him, receive eternal life. So that we could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we today can know God's love in a profound and life-changing way. So that we can have life to the full. And so many more blessings from God are made possible because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, because of the insults that he was prepared to receive as he was uh, executed as uh, an innocent man, like the literal insults that people threw at him while he was going through that painful execution. So this humility that Jesus presents to us is a wonderful example. We receive God's acceptance, God's love, God's grace because of Jesus' humility. And we have a wonderful example from Jesus in the way he lived his life, the way he died his death and in his resurrection. So when we put all that together, God's deep love for us and Jesus' wonderful example, we've built a solid foundation for disagreeing well. When that is our foundation, and when we're in relationship with Jesus who loves us that much and sets us that example, that's when we're going to know how to disagree well. We're going to know when to not disagree, you know, just to hold our own convictions and let other people hold their convictions and to be okay with that and to not need to start an argument. Just It's an open-handed issue. Just, just leave it at that. We're gonna know when to disagree because it's a closed fisted issue and we need it actually needs to be addressed. But we're gonna know how to do that in a helpful, loving, and appropriate way that's gonna to lead to uh, really productive possibilities. So let's talk about that now. Let's get into that in a bit more detail. Uh, I wanna talk about this from the point of view of identity uh, and let's talk about it on a spectrum. Uh, this is not a scientific spectrum. This is just a Kirk's observation spectrum. See, we'll tend to disagree poorly if we invest our identity in the wrong things or to, to the wrong extremes. So, say you 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 invest a lot of your identity in being right and in winning arguments. Okay, so. Uh, you, you know, you get a lot of value and a lot of purpose in being the person in the room who is correct. You uh, you feel good proving other people wrong, and just winning arguments and being on top in debate. If you're right up this extreme end of the spectrum, you're not going to be someone who disagrees well. And I have to admit, I've you know, at times in my life, been way up this end. And I was, just, I was just all about the win. I, I love debating people, I love tripping people up in their arguments, causing them to stumble, making them look a bit silly. And uh, I have to say, I wasn't really about getting to the truth. I wasn't really about learning from those discussions. I just loved winning. But then, you know, I start taking my relationship with Jesus seriously. I start maturing in my relationship with Jesus. And I come across a verse like this, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification is the moral or intellectual improvement of someone else. And I've got to admit to you, when I was getting in those debates and seeking to win those arguments, I didn't give a stuff about what other people were feeling. I was just enjoying the possibility of winning. It was all about me. So when we have our identity in winning and in being right, we will be too quick to argue. We will be too quick to jump into a fight and get ready for the debate. This thing that's been happening recently I've been noticing is that, you know, I've been. Been watching someone, yeah, uh, you know, maybe on a a, a, video, a video on the internet, or a presenter on TV, or even reading an article, and it's a, it's a, it's an opinion piece, and they're making points that I kind of agree with. As in the actual content, I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with the points that this person's making, but they're making them in such a way, the style of their presentation just makes me feel very uncomfortable. Because this style that seems to be very popular at the moment is, here's my point of view, and what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna attack the people who have an opposing point of view in a way that just makes them seem absolutely ridiculous. Like, if you hold an opposing point of view to me, I'm just gonna make you seem like the world's biggest moron. Like, if, if you hold this point of view, you just must be one of the stupidest people in the world. It's mean, it's sarcastic, it's cynical, it always uses unfair and cheap tactics, and the presentation usually finishes with a call for anyone who disagrees with the presenter to be canceled. And as I said, even though I might agree with the basic argument the person's putting forward, I just finish it feeling kind of dirty. It certainly lacks any sort of humility and it definitely doesn't lead to anyone being conv- who doesn't already agree with you being convinced to change their mind. If we care about winning and that's where we get our identity, we're not going to disagree well. But what about if we're up the other end of the spectrum? What about if our identity is in approval? This is where we get our value and our purpose in life from people liking us. We just really want people to think we're a nice person, a good person. Uh, I've heard an interview with a lady uh, recently who's a researcher into child education. And so often she'll post her findings from her research online. And when you do that, often there's a comment section at the bottom of the article. And, Uh, people put their comments in and they don't always agree with the findings and so sometimes there's these negative comments. Anyway, this lady was talking to a friend of hers and the friend had been reading some of the negative uh, um, comments and just saying, how can you cope with these negative comments that you get and they're so horrible, some of them? And she said, well, you know, um, here's the way I think about it. They're not really attacking Me, they're attacking my ideas. And her friend said, I'm I'm not sure I understand the difference. Now this is a recent phenomenon that we're observing in our culture. This sense that if I put forward an idea and you attack it, you know, you disagree with that idea, that somehow you're also attacking me. Like all of me, uh, you know, my, you're attacking me as a person, which is not actually what you're doing. But it seems like we're sort of saying one plus one equals ten at the moment. And it seems to be a bit of a cultural phenomenon, and it's quite difficult to separate the uh, the the uh, the sense that we might just be disagreeing with an idea rather than disagreeing with a whole person. Those things are just sort of getting mixed up quite often, and so that's just a tricky thing, This just seems to be a thing that's going on in our culture, that makes it even extra hard if we've got our identity in approval and people liking us. Because if that's the case, we're never going to disagree with anyone. It's too risky. And so that means we're going to be a doormat for people who have stronger personalities. We're going to compromise on our core values and on our core beliefs, and I would argue we're going to be bad friends. You see, because good friends, if they see a friend of theirs heading in a bad direction, making some life decisions, you know, taking some unnecessary risks, a good friend's going to speak up and go, "Whoa, are you okay? Do you think that's the right thing to do?" But if your um, core identity is tied up with people liking you, you're not going to speak up because you'd be too worried that that's going to cause too much too much friction it's going to, it's, it's going to cause people to turn against you so you'll stay silent and bad friends stay silent so what's the solution well of course the solution is to find our identity primarily in Jesus in a world full of misinformation internet trolls sm- uh, you know smackdowns cancelled celebrities and politicians tribalism, Death threats and review bombs. The good news is that Jesus accepts us, everyone, where we are at. He accepts us with all our strengths and all our weaknesses. He's not like sitting there waiting for us to stuff up. And then we get something going, and he's like, ah, I knew you could stuff up. You're gone. You're cancelled. It's not like that. He won't make a Jesus destroys Kirk video when I say something stupid uh, you know, one time on YouTube or I post something uh, you know, online. It's not what he's like. You see, when we find our identity in Christ, who accepts us with an unconditional love, when we put our faith in him, then we are empowered to put others first. When we find our identity in Christ, we're empowered to let those open-handed issues go. We won't have that desire to always be proving ourselves right. When we find our identity in Christ, we'll be empowered to pursue peace, even in those indisputable matters. and. We won't feel that desire to use cheap, nasty, mean tactics to get our point across. And even if we can't convince the other person or the other people of our point of view, we'll be okay because our identity won't be riding on convincing other people that we're right because we know we're already accepted by the one whose opinion matters the most. So let me finish today with... Uh, reading from Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Thanks for joining us.